Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Amen. What a song, a song that leads into what we're going to talk about tonight. I'll come back to that in just a moment. I am grateful for the Gideon ministry. I'm grateful that every time you give to the Gideons, uh, those, that money doesn't go to support some individual working in an office. It goes to support the delivery of scriptures uh, to people in our nation and across the world. And so as a church, we've made the Gideon ministry a part of our regular mission giving. So every year they get an amount from our congregation. And when we have our Gideon Sunday, Gideon Week, we're in a Gideon Week rather than a Gideon Sunday in our current configuration, we have an opportunity to take up an offering. Uh, Terry Carroll, who's one of our Gideons in our church, will give you some instruction in that about that offering. If you'd like to give extra today to the Gideon ministry, you can do so at the end of our worship service, and Terry will give you instruction about that. In the life of our church, uh, coming up a week from this Sunday, if you're watching at home, or about 11 days from today, if you're here in the room with us, we will have Trunk or Treat here at our church, where we celebrate uh, with our, our children and families, passing out candy and enjoying that, and having an opportunity to minister to, to folks in our community and our church. If you'd like to be a trunk host, we would love to have you decorate your trunk and pass out candy. If you'd like to just bring candy by and distribute it, that would be fantastic as well. Thank you so much for participating in those, uh, in those things and, and being aware of that. So we're in our third sermon of four sermons, restating or rethinking our mission. Our mission at Wilkesboro Baptist Church is to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Marsh mentioned that in the video you just watched. That is who we are. It is our obligation to make sure we share the good news of Jesus as often as we can, whether it's in our worship services or whether it's in other personal conversations that we have with people. We do that by worshiping, learning, and today we're going to discover we do that by serving. God has called and gifted us to serve in some capacity, to bring glory to His name, and to spread the good news of Jesus to people around us. That's why that song really fits. God wants to change us and make us more like Jesus to reflect the characteristic and demeanor of Jesus so that when we share or when we serve or when we minister to someone else, they'll see Jesus in our actions and also hear Jesus in our words and have an opportunity to come to faith in Christ. passage of Scripture we're going to look at in the book of Exodus that illustrates this is very rich. It's Exodus chapter 31. Never preached out of this particular passage of Scripture before. It's rich and it's fruitful because it talks about service. It talks about giftedness. It talks about God's purpose for the instruments of worship in the Old Testament. It even talks a little bit about art. Can you believe that? Did you realize art is in the Bible? I, I grew up with, uh, with a brother who's pretty talented in terms of artistic capacity. Uh, we've got a drummer here in our church, Josh Pinkerton, uh, and I'm looking at him right now. He's pretty talented. There are times when I've been preaching a sermon and he's drawn a picture of me preaching a sermon. It's pretty fantastic. It, it's, it, it may not be Picasso, but it's, it's pretty fantastic for Josh Pinkerton. But I remember in an art appreciation class I took in college, which I really enjoyed, by the way, they had us do an art project where we had to make something out of clay. We had to make that something out of clay and put it in a kiln and, and fire it and finish it. And I thought I would make something incredibly useful for me or as a gift for my wife. I thought I would make a coffee mug. 
okay? Now, if you know me and my love for coffee, then that, that is a very fitting thing. Well, I, I, I molded that clay and I worked that clay and we put that clay in the kiln and when it came out, it did not exactly look like what I thought would be a coffee mug. It wasn't nearly big enough. I need about 16 ounces and it would have only held about three ounces and it was you know, out of kilter. It was not very good art, but it was an attempt. Tell you this passage of scripture that builds out of the picture of the tabernacle that God wanted built in the Old Testament, it's artistic. God gave some, some men in this text some skill and ability and talent to do something that would be gloriously beautiful, but have a wonderful purpose, redemptive worship purpose, in the course of their artistic giftedness. So read with me, if you will, this text. In Exodus chapter 31, beginning in verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Urah, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all men, abil- given to all able men ability, that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, then the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do." To be quite honest with you, if we're not careful what we have a tendency to do when we read through some of the passages of Scripture in the Old Testament is we get to those places where there's action taking place. You know, like the books of 1 and 2 Samuel where David's killing Goliath and, and fighting for the kingship. We like the action parts. And the book of Exodus is a little bit like that. Early in the book of Exodus, you get the plagues and you get the Red Sea and you get he, he, those moments where God is intervening and acting. And we read that. We read that with, with, with closeness and with, with, with interest. We're ready to see what's next. And then some of the Old Testament is a little harder for us to really connect with. You get into the Old Testament law, for example, Exodus 20 through about chapter 24. God's given the list of commands, what we're to do and what we're not to do, who we're to be and who we're not to be as his people in the Old Testament. And sometimes we have a tendency to kind of read that and read it. We get it. But we're not the Old Testament Israelites. Their laws with regard to dietary laws or with regard to their citizenship, they don't necessarily apply to us, so we kind of gloss over them. And then you really get into the story after that where God is explaining to Moses on the mountain, 
the tabernacle and all the instruments of the tabernacle, what it's to look like, what it's to be, what exactly is to take place. And, and sometimes we're, if we're not careful, what we do is we just kind of read through that and say, yeah, that's how they worshiped back then. And we gloss over it. And chapter 31 is a little bit like that. Well, okay, the tabernacle got assigned to these particular men to be able to, to put the tabernacle together. What can we learn from this text? Well, we can learn a lot about what it means to serve the Lord. Here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to observe the priority of the Lord's call to serve. Observe the priority of the Lord's call to serve. I want you to catch this. Verse 3. Actually, verse 2. I have called by name. It's the Lord speaking to Moses. I have called by name. He calls the name. Bezalel. I've said Bezalel apart. This is God's directive to Moses. Verse 3. I have filled him with the Spirit of God. By the way, we think of the Holy Spirit's filling practically as a New Testament experience, but it occurred in the Old Testament. It's not as common a reference in the Old Testament, but in this instance, the filling of the Spirit connected with service for God's purposes. But it's God saying, I've called him by name. I know who I want. And it's God saying, I have filled him with my Spirit, my Spirit to serve me in a specific capacity. And then he says this, I have filled him with the Spirit of God with ability, with intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to do what? To devise artistic designs and work of gold, silver, and bronze and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to work in every craft. Here's what we need to grasp. We need to grasp that serving the Lord is His priority. In other words, He's the one that gets to decide and dictate the special callings of people in the life of the church. It's not up to you and me to decide what we do. It's up to the Lord to decide what we do because he's the one in charge. He's the one that has a specific plan. Now, in a little bit, toward the end of our service service today, I'm going to show you why the Lord was so careful about who performed these specific tasks because he had a greater purpose in store than, than sometimes we, we would like to think of when we just think of these moments of service. He had a plan, but we need to observe the Lord's priority. We need to recognize that it's his calling, his special design, his purpose that puts this into place. By the way, if you go back and, and notice he didn't say to Moses, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build a tabernacle, and I want you to build an altar, and I want you to build an ark, and I want you to do all this, and you go find somebody to do that. No, God brought Moses up on the mountain and said, Moses, said to Moses, I'm going to give you a picture. I'm going to show you a pattern. I'm going to tell you what to do, and I'm going to show you exactly what needs to be done. And then at the end of all of that, in the, the previous six or seven chapters, God has explained to Moses the tabernacle and all the instruments and all the items in the tabernacle. God has explained it with precision and with clarity. And then God says, not to Moses, I want you to go find somebody to do the job. God says to Moses, I have the man for the job. I have somebody that's going to help him do the job. I have people that are going to help them do the job. I'm the one setting this up. And the reason this is important is because we need to remember that if the Lord calls someone to serve in a special capacity, it's the Lord's prerogative to do that. Not every single individual is called to do every single thing in the life of the church. There is a special calling, a special uh, privilege for those that God sets apart for a specific task. 
whether it's a task of talent or whether it's a task of spiritual ability, whatever it may be, God uniquely gifts and gives us the privilege to serve in special capacities. And it's his prerogative because it's for his glory. It's for his purposes. He has a plan. He has a design. Not everyone can be Moses or Joshua. Not everyone could be a priest. Not everyone could be Bezalel. Not everyone could be a Holiab. Not everyone can be a drummer. Not everyone can be a musician. Not everyone can be a preacher. Not everyone can be a Sunday school teacher. Nothing wrong with that. God gives a special calling. Let me give an example of a special calling in the life of our church. About three or four years ago, we recognized the need for someone to help us with media, communications, editing videos, technology. We recognized the need for that. And, and we uh, searched out a candidate that might fit that category. We had one application for that job. And that person happened to be Gary Buffalo, uh, who's been on our staff for about the last uh, three and a half years or so. And, and we hired Gary, and he came in, and he did some editing, and he's edited all our videos. If you're watching from home, this video is a video that Gary Buffalo has edited and worked on and made the connections between audio and video and done some things along those lines. He's helped us with social media. He's helped us with communication. Initially, that plan was to take the pressure off some of the current staff that would have had to do some editing. What it turned out to be is that uh, Gary, in a very fantastic way, has served a glorious purpose in the life of our church during a pandemic. The greatest portion of our ministry for a large period of time was in a digital platform. And, and Gary helped us with that. God gave him a special gift and a special calling. Now, next week, we're going to talk a little bit about where Gary's headed. He's stepping away to, to start a church. And I'll talk more about that next week. Uh, but not everybody can do what Gary does, though we're hoping somebody can do sort of what Gary has done because we've got a job description in our worship guide and in our beacon. We're going to try to replace Gary's ministry. But in order to be a video editor or to work in communications, you have to have a little bit of skill or talent or calling. If you think you have that skill, talent, or calling, then you can email Tad Craig and say, I'm interested in this particular position. Or maybe you know somebody that is. My, my point is that sometimes there are specific and uniquely gifted individuals for a uniquely gifted time or uniquely responsible time in the life of God's people. Bezalel and Aholiab are those types of individuals. Bezalel's name means, by the way, in the shadow of God. What a name, right? Because sometimes we think that that special, unique calling makes that person special and unique. I'm going to tell you something that doesn't make them unique and special at all. Really, what it points to is it points to the greatness and the glory of God. Bezalel was responsible for serving God's purposes underneath his shadow. Listen, if I want to be underneath somebody's shadows, I want to be underneath the shadow of the Lord. I don't care if people know me, and we ought not care if people know us. What we ought to care about is that God uses us to help people know him. That's the important thing. So first, observe the priority of the Lord's call to serve. It's his privilege. It's his prerogative. It's his calling. It's his plan. Observe that. I'll give you a second uh, thing that we ought to notice out of this text. It's this. We need to identify with the persons the Lord calls to serve. We need to identify with him. We need to pay attention to who these are that God calls to serve because we each have a responsibility to serve in a certain capacity. It's not necessarily 
everybody's job to lead our praise and worship from a platform. It's not necessarily everybody's job to preach. It's not everybody's job to serve as a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. It's a specific calling and a specific invitation to serve in some of those capacities. But it is everybody's job to serve in some capacity. Did you catch what happened here? God raised up Bezalel for a cherubim out of gold that would be on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And God said, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be an Ark. You're going to overlay it in gold. And you're going to put two cherubim on top. But in the text, we don't discover or we don't discern from the text that God gave a specific dimensions for the cherubim, that God gave specific uh, special like drawings for what it was to look like. I think God uniquely gifted Bezalel to be able to know the cherubim on top and it fits this way and he worked with the gold and he worked with all of the patterns throughout the whole tabernacle and all the furnishings and all the coverings and all the gold and all the beautiful pomegranates that he designed, all of that for that special purpose. But God set somebody else to help him. He set a man by the name of Aholiab from the tribe of Dan to help Bezalel. Aholiab's name... Uh, means this, tent of the Father, which is really uh, insightful because they were to work on the tent, the tabernacle that God was going to dwell in the midst of the people of Israel with. And and Aholiab's father's name was Ahizamach. His name means brother of support. So here's what God did. God raised up a specific person for a specific calling, Bezalel. And then he said, I'm going to give you somebody who's going to help you. And his name is going to be Aholiab. You know what God's done in the life of our church? We have a lot of needs. Ministry needs in the life of our church. And I think every church faces this on a regular basis. We always have more ministry opportunities than we have specific persons to put in those ministry positions. Whether that is we need more singers, whether that is we need another drummer or several other drummers, in both of our worship teams, whether that's somebody to work in the sound booth or whether that is people to serve as Sunday school teachers or children's ministry Sunday school teachers, nursery workers, you can go on down the line. The church always has more opportunities for people to serve than sometimes we have people to specifically put into those responsibilities of service. You know what God has done? He's raised up people to serve in those capacities. Notice this, what he says, a holy ab is going to be your support in the latter part of verse 6, and I have given to all able men ability. Not just the people that are named. There were a lot of people, there were a lot of women, by the way, later on in the text, that would be the ones that would make the coverings for the tabernacle. They would be the one to sew the different colored coverings for the tabernacle. In other words, what God is saying is, the task that I've assigned you to do, I have given the specific calling for some to do it, and I'm giving the expectation for all to do it. Here's what I want to tell you. Some of you may never be preachers. Some of you may never be worship leaders. Some of you may never teach a class. In other words, while God specially gifts, appoints, and commands some to serve in specific ways, get this, He also gifts, appoints, and commands all His people to serve in some ways. Some of you may be listening to the sermon and think, I don't know who in the world the preacher's talking about. I can't imagine that he's talking about me because I don't know what my special calling and gifting is to serve the Lord in his kingdom and his purpose. Do you want me to tell you something? Let me take some pressure off of you. That's okay. 
You may not know the special, specific calling God has for you in this moment in time in your life. You know what God has really called us to do? He's called us to have an attitude of service. To be willing to say, I'll do whatever needs to be done. I'll serve in some capacity because I want to express the fact that Jesus has changed me and made me someone different. Jesus came to serve and Jesus had a very special calling and a special service to perform that nobody else could do. But you know what Jesus did for most of his adult ministry? He did things almost anybody else could have done. He touched someone who was full of leprosy. He cared for someone who was sick. He prayed for people and ministered to people in just everyday, normal ways like any of us can do. The point is this. It's not for us to decide the platform that we get to serve in. It's for us to decide that we will serve whenever God says, here's what I want you to do. And how do we do that? We do that by identifying with the persons God has called to serve. If you're not serving in a capacity in the community or in the church right now, here's all I'm asking you to do. Make a commitment at the end of the service to serve however God impresses upon you and maybe however you're asked. Maybe all that means is that when you walk out of the sanctuary this evening or or on Sunday and you see those Operation Christmas Child boxes, maybe it simply means that you fill up a box and and bring it back and send it to someone, some child over across the world. Maybe it means that you're willing to serve in a capacity in the life of the church. I don't know specifically. That's between you and the Lord. What I'm asking you to do is be willing to serve. Identify with the people that God has called to serve. And there's a really important reason why. Gets us to our third, our third observation in this text. Get this. We need to revel in the purpose of the Lord's call to serve. There is a glorious reason why God calls specific people to serve in specific ways and why God calls all of us to serve in some kind of general capacity. I want you to catch this. The reason that these individuals were called is because they were going to be the ones that were to construct the place of God's worship. The tabernacle in the Old Testament was the place where God sent His presence from heaven to earth, to dwell in a regular capacity for the people of God. It was the centerpiece of the camps. When all the tribes of the people of Israel would would be resting in a campsite, some they rested in for months, some they rested in for years during the 40-year period of time that they were in the wilderness. But when they rested at a campsite, the very centerpiece of the people of God was the tabernacle. It was the place where God... Dwelt. It was the place where his presence was. And every instrument, every table, the candlestick, the altar, the, the Ark of the Covenant, every item was a special item that performed a specific role in the worship of God's people. I want you to get this. Practically speaking, what this means is that when we serve the Lord, we serve as an act of worship. Do you recognize that that certainly when we're gathered as a body of believers and we sing praise to the Lord, we know that's an act of worship. Do you realize, though, that when you listen to a sermon and put it into practice, that's also an act of worship? Do you realize that when you bring a tithe and an offering and you put it in the offering box in the back of the service or you give a tithe online, that's an act of worship? Do you realize that when you are chasing around five-year-old boys in a Sunday school class or in an Awana group, that's an act of worship. 
frustrating worship maybe, but it's still an act of worship. Do you realize that when you come on, on October the 31st and we do trunk and treat and you pass out candy, that can be an act of worship. You realize that when you're working in a sound booth and helping make sure that, that the audience, the congregation can hear, that's an act of worship. It's an act of worship, but it's also a service that enables others to worship. Do you realize that when, when there's an usher that greets someone or when there's someone who, who makes sure that you're smiled at when you walk in the church, that a door's opened, you're enabling that guest or you're enabling that, that regular attender to worship on a regular basis. You're taking away a distraction. Here's the beautiful thing about service. Service is not only an act of worship, but it's something that lets others worship the Lord. Bezalel and Aholiab and all those men that God specially designed, specially set apart for that act of service, they not only worshiped the Lord through their service, man, they helped so many other Israelites for year after year after year, every time they would offer an offering, every time the priest would offer their offering, it, it transmitted back to the act of service that someone did so that worship could take place. What a glorious purpose. There's even more going on there than the practical nature that our service lets other people worship or that our service worships. Listen, there's so much going on here theologically. We could spend weeks in the book of Exodus on this topic. But I'm going to make three specific observations about the theological nature of what happened here. The purpose for which these men served to lead into worship. Glorious stuff. Here's the first one. I want you to catch this. Jesus in the New Testament is the tabernacle from the Old Testament. There is a reason why God wanted this tabernacle to be made a specific way. Because the Bible says in the New Testament, Jesus is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, the word in the New Testament, John 1.14, is he tabernacled among us. The reason God specifically wanted the tabernacle built this way is because God had a plan. The tabernacle was a foreshadowing of God's meeting with his people. Let me tell you what really matters. It matters not that we're here in a worship gathering. Do you realize that? that, that, that that's not the most important thing. It, it matters... Not that you and I look nice or you and I serve well. Do you know what really matters? What really matters is that we get to meet with God. That's what really matters. What really matters is that God wants to meet with us. And in the Old Testament, that took place at a specific location. And that location was the tabernacle. If the people of Israel wanted to meet with God, they had to go through a specific pattern in order to meet with God. They had to go to the tabernacle, bring a sacrifice, meet a priest, worship God in a particular way. I'm going to tell you something, folks. You can meet with God and His people in a worship service at a church building. Absolutely, that can happen. But do you know where you meet with God? You meet with God when you meet with Jesus. In the New Testament, we don't have to go through a specific building to meet with God. We get to know a person who brings us into a relationship with God. Jesus, in the New Testament, is the tabernacle in the Old Testament. He is the location, the place where we meet with God. And that's tremendously important. It's important for the second reason. Because Jesus, in the New Testament sprinkled his blood in the heavenly tabernacle 
when the priest in the earthly tabernacle would do the same thing. I mean, there's a reason why the tabernacle was exactly built to specific dimensions. In, uh, in Exodus 25, God says to Moses, be careful to build this tabernacle to the pattern I've shown you. There, there's, a, there's a specific reason the tabernacle looks exactly like it's supposed to look in the Old Testament. Because the tabernacle in the Old Testament is a type of another tabernacle. It's a type of another meeting location. It's a type of another place. And it's not a place that exists in our reality. It's a place that exists in heaven. Catch this in the book of Hebrews chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. God said to Moses, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Because Jesus in his ministry in the New Testament is going to a different location. Notice this in Hebrews 8, Hebrews 9 12, rather. He entered once for all in the holy places by means uh, not of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Book of Hebrews chapter 9 says this. Jesus went to a tabernacle. He went to an altar. He went inside a holy place. But we're not talking about the temple in Jerusalem. We're not talking about the Ark of the Covenant that was in Jerusalem. We're not talking about a a, a man-made temple. The Bible says that Jesus, when he died on the cross and was buried in the grave, he went to a heaven-made temple, a place that once for all Jesus took his blood and did this. Notice this, 923, Hebrews 923. Thus it was necessary... For the copies of heavenly things, that's the earthly tabernacle, the copies of heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with human hands, which are copies of the true things, but he has entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. I want you to catch this. If you go back and read through Exodus chapter 25 and and following and read through the story of the tabernacle and the specific design, the reason it was designed so specially is because God already has a tabernacle in His heavenly dwelling. And there was going to come a time, 1,500 years later, when Jesus, God's own Son, was going to come to planet Earth and He was going to die on a cruel cross and He was going to pay His own blood. And that blood wasn't going to be spread at a tabernacle in Jerusalem. It wasn't going to be spread at a temple in Jerusalem. It was going to be sprinkled at the tabernacle in heaven, at the holy place in heaven, once and for all, never to have happen again. He, he doesn't have to be an offering that dies every week or every month or every year for our sinfulness. He died once, once for all, and he took your sins, and he took my sins, and he took the sins of the world, and he sprinkled those sacri- that, that blood at the temple in, in heaven, at the holy place in heaven, at the holy of holies in heaven, that our sins may be cleansed. Folks, that is a glorious purpose for which God gives us the right to serve him. Let me give you a, a third note. That, that, that is talked about in this, if, this Exodus chapter 31. I want you to get this. One of the reasons why it's so important that we serve in this capacity, we revel in the purpose of God's service and worship, is this. Jesus offers salvation to somebody's, nobody's, anybody, and everybody. You say, Pastor, where do you get that? Because of who Jesus invited to serve. Did you catch that he invited... Bezalel, Bezalel of the tribe of Judah, the preeminent tribe, the tribe of the kingship. 
in Genesis chapter 49, when, uh, when, when Jacob made a prophecy, a prophetic prediction about his sons, gave them a blessing. Here's what he said about Judah. He said, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. The image there is that Judah is going to be the tribe of kingship. And wasn't it? David was from the tribe of Judah. David was the preeminent king in Israel's history. His lineage leads us forth all the way to Jesus, who is king. Listen, Jesus came to die for people who have a name and a reputation. That would have been Bezalel. Bezalel was from the tribe of Judah. Interestingly enough, in order to get into the tabernacle, you had to go through the tribe of Judah. What do I mean by that? Well, the tabernacle was placed in the centerpiece of the people of Israel. Judah was on the east side when they camped. And the entrance to the tabernacle was on the east side. In other words, in order to get into the tabernacle to worship God, you had to go through the tribe of Judah. Wasn't that a beautiful picture of exactly who Jesus is? In order for us to go to heaven and enter into God's presence, we have to go through Jesus. And Jesus died for the people who are special. Jesus died for the people who are somebody. Jesus died for the people who are gifted and talented and have a name and a reputation. Jesus died for the somebodies, Bezalel. Jesus also died for the nobodies. Like Aholiab. Aholiab, who's, who's, uh, whose name means ten of the Father, the tabernacle, the place where anybody can meet with God is the place of tabernacle. You don't have to be special to meet with God. You just have to meet with God where God is. Aholiab was from the tribe of Dan. Interestingly, the tribe of Judah was the first tribe out when the camps left a campsite. Dan was the last tribe out when the camps left the campsite. You know what that means? It means that representatively, there was a person from the first tribe and the last tribe. They were representing all the people of Israel in their service to make the tabernacle, to make all of the instruments of the tabernacle. Meaning that God came to be our tabernacle for all peoples, for the somebodies and for the nobodies. Why is Dan a nobody? Because the tribe of Dan really doesn't have very, significant, very much significance in Israel's history. They were a tribe, if you look in the book of Judges, they were a tribe that, that owned idolatry. They became very idolatrous. They worshipped falsely. They disobeyed God. So much so that I don't know really what all this means, but if you go all the way to the book of Revelation and you look at that story about the 144,000, the tribe of Dan's not included. The tribe of Joseph is included. The tribe of Manasseh is included. So Joseph had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Of course, we know the tribe of Levi was not included in, the, in, in kind of the way that the, the land was designated because they were the tribe of the priesthood. Who was the tribe left out? The Nanites were left out. Why were they left out? Because they were sinful. Notice the prophecy about Dan. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels. I mean, that's what Jacob Dan's father said about his own son. This is the prophetic. He, he's not going to be a somebody. He might be a nobody. I want to tell you something. Jesus died for somebodies, and Jesus died for some of us that feel like nobodies. It doesn't matter what our past is. It doesn't matter what our family heritage is. It doesn't matter whether we're the black sheep, the white sheep, or a sheep, or a goat, or whatever we are. Jesus died for those of us that feel like somebody 
or that feel like nobody so that we can have a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus offers salvation to nobodies. And Jesus offers salvation to anybody and everybody. That's what this story tells us. It tells us that Jesus came to be our Savior and forgiver. And the picture of that is found in Exodus chapter 31. The fact that Bezalel served, the fact that Aholiab served, the fact that people of all Israel's tribes were designed to serve the kingdom of God pictures something that all of us can find hope in. Can find hope in the fact that Jesus came to be our Savior Not just a savior for people who look like they're supposed to look, but a savior for people who are sinful and wicked and unrighteous. What does that mean for our service? It means this. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be specially gifted to serve him in a glorious capacity. You don't have to do something glorious in order for God to be pleased with you to serve him. You know what? You just have to meet with Jesus. If you've met with Jesus, you can serve Jesus in a glorious, wonderful, Christ-like capacity. Let me illustrate it with the story of a man who uh, lived a glorious life here at our church. He was a Gideon. His name was Hal Cavanus. Hal uh, struggled with some mental health and physical health challenges over the years. Uh, Hal was a man who was drafted in the military went to serve in the Air Force in Vietnam and faced some very difficult things in Vietnam and came back with some difficult physical ramifications from what he dealt with when he was serving his country in Vietnam. And you know what his wife, Julie, said to me? She said that even though his health challenges that, that traced that followed him the rest of his life came from his time serving his country in Vietnam... He never disparaged his service. He was always proud of his service. He was always happy to give the best, literally the best of his life to serve his country. That was Hal Cavanus. Tell you something else about Hal Cavanus. I'm not sure I ever saw him at church where he didn't put on one of his award-winning smiles, shake my hand, and talk about something encouraging about his family or his church. He just loved his church and loved the Lord. And you know, he was a Gideon. And part of what Gideons do is they go around to other churches and they tell the Gideon story and they talk about Bibles and they talk about people coming to faith. That's part of what Gideons do. How didn't do very much of that. I'm not saying he didn't do any of it, but that just wasn't how Calvinist. You know what he did do though? He always kept a Gideon New Testament with him or several Gideon New Testaments with him. His wife Julie and his daughters told me time after time where they would go away on vacation or they'd go out to dinner, they'd be somewhere where Hal would look across the way, he would see somebody that looked like they weren't having a great day or see somebody that was thinking or see somebody that was disturbed and he'd pull one of those Gideon New Testaments out and put it in his hand. He'd walk over to that person and he'd flash that genuine kind, gentle, award-winning smile that he had. And he'd look at that person, he'd say, hello, my name's Hal, how are, you, how are you doing today? And he'd open a conversation up, talk to them about how the Lord loved them, about how he loved them, and he'd offer them a Gideon New Testament. I'm going to tell you something, Hal exhibited a servant's heart and a servant's heart that had been changed by Jesus Christ. I mean, some of us may say that's special. It is special, but it's special because of what God did in Hal and how God used Hal to glorify his name to others. It's not special in the sense that it's not accessible by you and me. 
any of us, every single one of us, can let Jesus transform our heart. Because you know, he came to die for all of us. He came to die for us when we were wicked. He came to die for us when we were broken. He came to die for us when we were hurting. He came to die for us when we were going through struggles. He came to die for us so he could change us. And he came to die for us so he could change us, so he could use us to open our hands and serve others in whatever capacity we can and in what specific capacity that he's called us to serve him. I don't know what that is for you. I do know what it absolutely ought to be for every one of us. We ought to be able to put a smile on our face, look people in the eye, and tell them we love them, and tell them God loves them, and tell them that Jesus came to be their Savior no matter their background, no matter their struggle, no matter where they came from. Folks, when we do that, we're serving people into the kingdom of God, leading our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus by serving them with love. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you will. Maybe you want to make this invitation a time of prayer for you. You don't, you're here and you're like, I want to surf. I don't know where to surf. Well, why don't you come pray about it? Or maybe you've got somebody in mind that you need to surf. I'm going to tell you something. One of the greatest things that God does in our hearts and lives is He impresses upon us individuals that need the good news of Jesus or that need compassion from a Christian heart. Maybe you want to spend some time at the altar praying for a person that God's put on your heart or on your mind. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for raising up men like Bezalel and Aholiab and all those others that would build all of those glorious instruments in the tabernacle. I thank you, Lord Jesus, more than that, that that tabernacle points to the tabernacle, points to you, it points to you meeting with us, meeting with us when we don't deserve it, meeting with us when we're sinful, when we're evil, when we're wicked, when we're unrighteous, meeting with us at our point of need and our point of brokenness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to do that. And thank you that you used these men to build a tabernacle that would invite the whole people of Israel to meet you. Lord God, you called all of us to serve somehow. You called some of us to serve in a specific capacity. I pray, Lord, that where we need to know what that special calling is, would you show it to us? Would you give us discernment and direction? I pray, Lord, that where all of us need to just recognize our calling to serve your kingdom in a general capacity, Lord, make us willing and able to do that. Father, I I know without a doubt that there are some of us that have friends, neighbors, family members who you've impressed on our heart to serve with a word of love, with an act of compassion. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us both the opportunity and the boldness to act with a servant's heart to those individuals this week, this month, in the next several months, so that the love of Jesus can be shared. So, Heavenly Father, that person, that person who's not here, that person who we've been praying for and burdened for, would know that there's a God who loves them and would know that there is a path to meet with that God through Jesus Christ. Pray this in your name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. 